This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. episode of the Cosmic Salon, and I have a special guest here. A mutual friend of ours has been saying to me for some time now, I don't even know how long, that I needed to interact with this person, that she brings forth all this juicy, fey, otherworldly dream stuff that I represent out here in the Outlands. And so finally it happened. And part of the serendipity here is I didn't have any bio on Scarlet to go on. It was just this beautiful character analysis from our mutual friend, just how great she is. And so after we got in contact and all this, our friend said, Well, you know, she's the co screenwriter for Color Out of Space. And light bulbs went up because so many people are pushing this film to me right now. And my time is so limited. So films and and shows I I tend to put on the back burner. Yet this one's come forward again and again. And of course, I love Lovecraft. So irony, serendipity, synchronicity, whatever it is, I'm welcoming Scarlett Amaris to... The Cosmic Salon. Welcome, Scarlett. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for, for having me on your show and for that lovely uh, introduction as well. Yeah, there's a little bit of magic here already. And I love that. So give us a bio of who yourself, you, of who you are. Um, well, right now I'm a screen and television writer. I've also written some novels. Really, my emphasis right now is on television. I've got four very exciting television projects that I've been immersed in for the last year. Ooh. Uh, 
yeah, and just kind of making the transition from screen to television. And I've just been so blessed this year to be working with absolutely amazing people on amazing projects. And then I'm still teaching witchcraft and mythology over at the Crooked Path, just because it's kind of my passion. And I love to do it. I love to, I teach a class called the deity is in the details and I love to dive into the mythology and to bring that to other people. Yeah. Those are the things I've been working on. Excellent. I'm one of those people that there's so much here in under the realm. And I call it a realm of witchcraft, but I've always been one of those people that likes to observe others and whether they call themselves witches or not, I just notice them and acknowledge them as that energy. As I was saying there, I'm one of those people that thinks they're born. Although I believe everyone can attain these tools and everyone can harness the power of witchcraft. I just think that some people, it's almost like the the Buddha in a way, some people are just born with these abilities to want to work with the natural world and do it. You see them as children doing it. Totally agree. I think that it's in the blood for some people. Yes. Uh, Go into that. Even as a, like myself as a kid, like I was a strange kid. I grew up by myself on a very large horse ranch. And some of my earliest memories are, are literally putting spells together, like grabbing pebbles and putting them over here and drawing circles around things that things I thought needed protection or whatever having communication with the animals and just viewing the world in a very different way. And I have met other children like that or other practicing witches in, and you kind of always recognize each other. There's something that you see in each other that tells you this is somebody that has a foot in both worlds. Mm. What that is, like none of us have ever been able to put our finger on, but does it exist? Oh yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. The world is so magical. It makes me sad when I encounter people that are not able to actually tap into how incredibly enchanted this realm is that we dwell within. Again, and this is one of those things where you see it with young kids and shit, they come in and they're interacting with the magical side of the physical world. And yet they're also interacting with stuff that may not be visible. Mm -hmm. The Clara senses are all there. This becomes such a special thing to observe. And we do know each other. You know, in Sicily, there was always like, you'd have the Chimaruta or a couple different symbols that would put you out. So others of your kind would know and recognize. And this is no secret in the world of mysteries It's done with all the mystery schools with a certain saying or a ring, a signet of some sort. So this is one of those things, though, with witches. It's very energetic. We feel each other. Exactly. Exactly. We, we, we know each other by the secret sign, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And the secret sign is that we can read each other's shadows. We can read each other's. <laughs> they always say witches cast weird shadows. It's completely true. They have a different energy. Yes. When I write into a glyph, when I write words, put words to paper or on the computer, weird for me is always forever W-Y. Uh-huh. In the old spelling, yeah. <laughs> it's getting overdone at this point, but I've been doing it a very long time, and so I'm holding to it. So let's 
talk about witchcraft for a minute. I hadn't actually intended to do that, but this is <laughs> with you. This is all this other bonus stuff because Tara didn't really unfold that as well. She just kept saying we have so much in common and that we would have interesting interactions. So I'm curious about where you stand in the world of we're raising this up. So this isn't about people. This is about ideas and things and realities of the state of being. When I look around, I see a lot of the facsimiles of witches the glossy side, as in surface level, almost like Hollywoodized, right? The glamour and smoke and no substance, the hot topic experience. And it's something I've, I speak on this a lot. And so I'm wondering, how do you traverse that world? The McWitch thing is kind yes. of a phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> With the advent of social media, I've seen a lot of people who really are not well-versed, who really have no kind of background, have no kind of structure, garner these big platforms kind of on like joke memes or whatever else and then suddenly like there's so much ego involved that they become very important and whatever else and it's just it's very silly you know if you don't have commitment and you don't have structure you don't have a path you're just you're just larping you're just pretending yes Um, you just you're being cool because you know witchcraft isn't about the big Sabbath and the this and that. It's about, you know what, your daily discourse with whatever deity or with the invisible world. It's the daily interaction. It's all the small stuff. It's the commitment and time that you put into it. That's truly the path. Yes. It's not how good you look doing it. It's fun to look good while doing it, but you know what I'm saying? There's a difference. And it, it makes me sad. And that's part of what I'm trying to do in the projects that I have right now is to, um, because a lot of them have to do with witchcraft or magic because dealing with the supernatural is something that I'm best known for in my work, but I really am trying to get some authenticity in there. So it's not so silly and it's not so glossy and to get some more of stuff that isn't so bombastic, but is much more quietly realistic, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And it not only makes sense, it's needed right now. It's completely been co-opted and it makes me sad. People will ask me if I've seen the show or that show. So I'll put my eye on it. Let me put it this way. I'll put my eye on these things. I can immediately tell when it's the gloss version, it's its all like sex and boom, boom, right? Yeah. No, I, I see that too. Or it's always like super great looking teens, you know, like there's this wish yes. aspect to it where you're like, okay, <laughs> they seem to be missing the point. Although, you know, I have seen a couple of shows, especially I, I can't even think of the name right now of one that was done in Italy that was actually really good. Yes, Nira. What is it, Nira? Yeah, yes, oh, uh, fabulous. I actually really enjoyed that. I, you know, done by women, and I thought they did a really good job. I thought there were parts of that that were really interesting. That's one of my favorites, and I push it. Well, see, a lot of people in America don't reach out. In this, I've got to give this to to Netflix for that because they do throw an international 
uh, lot in there. And so these things are accessible finally. It was so hard growing up getting all the foreign stuff. That is a premiere show for me. I have pushed it. I was bored one night, strangely. Not bored, but I had time. Let me put it this way. I had time and I wasn't going to do any work. And so I'm cruising through. I'm like, what is this? This looks interesting. And then there I am all night binging, you know, one of those. So it was that good that it pulled me in. And I highly recommend that to people often. And I'm not surprised that you're saying that as well, that it's it's quality. There were were elements of it, especially magically, that I thought were really great. Yeah. It's just so fantastic. And it's exactly what I think the balanced representation of where we need to go and the good side of what's happening amidst all the turmoil in these transitions. So kudos for sure. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And then um, I really enjoyed Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I don't know if you've seen that series. it's more of a series on magic than witchcraft but i just thought it was exceptionally done i need to find that especially if you're recommending it with your practice i want to ruminate here for a minute this is a lovely place so with your praxis in witchcraft also what is the difference between wicca to you and witchcraft let's start Um, there sure um i've actually taught a class on the history of wicca but wicca is is a religion it is an organized religion started by Gerald Gardner. Well, you could actually say that Crowley had a hand in it, but that's a long story. And witchcraft is not necessarily a religion. You know, you don't have to believe in the Wiccan creed right. to believe in witchcraft. Witchcraft has existed much, much longer than Wicca has. Yes. This is a distinction that needs to be more reachable for people because a lot of people make a separation there, of course. And those of us that are in the old school here have long made that separation. It's just that somehow it's getting tied over. It's like hoodoo and voodoo, how they get exactly crossed. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Wicca is, is a fairly new religion. It's only existed since the 40s, the 50s. Yes. Uh, pulling from a folklorist from Charles Leland, who wrote the Gospel of Aradia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a folklorist and not even a practicing witch. And then they're also pulling from Robert Graves, who was a poet. He was not even a mythologist. So I, there's elements of Wicca that I really like, and I understand how it appeals to people, and I understand how how it can be a stepping stone for people. It's just, it's not my way. Yeah. Same here. I've pushed against it my whole life. And so (laughs) it's interesting in my life though, I saw it being very on the fringe kind of come into a rise. These circles are small. So like Stuart and Janet Farah came over to one of our, our rights here. And when I was living in the Midwest, I watched the language, especially after Dear Stewart passed, become an agrigore, become fed more. And this was people pushing it. And then Llewellyn's really pushing it. And then it bloomed even further. So it had a bigger blossoming in, I'd say, the late 80s and definitely 90s. And then it turned into kind of the beast that it is now. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great beast. So there's... Uh, the, beast, the beast of white light and nothing more, which I did I know. my mind. Oh, it gives me the hearty belly laugh. <laughs> and so I have been very 
strong worded in the past and thankfully I didn't have radio shows and stuff at that point. I was just doing film and art. So it was, I'm, I'm older and grounded. Now I'm actually coming around to appreciating some of that juicy origin story with it and really, really enjoying those those elders, many of which have passed on now, and and understanding where they were coming from in context to where they were, their space and time. And so that because here we are with the facsimile of a facsimile, you know, the fractaling out. And that's where I'm like, oh, dear, (laughs) what's going on? Witchcraft. Wicca is not that bikini and that girl with a candle over there. with like all of the stones on her chakras (laughs) right for real (laughs) so uh (laughs) when people always come to me i'm like you know go read doreen valiente Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. go read some of her stuff read her bio because that really says a lot about her go read dion fortune yes Yes. she wrote stuff as as fiction because she had to at the time. And if you can slog through, like she always has a, a very long opening into anything, but once she hits her stride, you're in. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like, go read those things. Like put down the Llewellyn books. I'm not just <laughs> Llewellyn. I'm glad they exist. They Absolutely. Really capacity, but like, and if you can't be bothered to do that, then read, you know, Ronald Hutton's triumph of the moon so that you understand the history of the religion that you are professing to be a part of. This is part of where we are now in its context, historical context, and that applies everywhere. And that definitely applies in witchcraft and in Wicca. I love Doreen and Sea Priestess. She's like, yeah, she's my favorite. Sea Priestess. I still want a a star sapphire beaded necklace. (laughs) (laughs) You do have to suffer through getting in, but once you're in, once she has you in, you you don't want it to end. It's oh my gosh, beautiful, so right, right, Scarlett? Oh, it's so beautiful, and it is like to me one of the best kind of um, what would be the word? I mean, it's just this the idea of polarity in it, and it's really the introduction of polarity in witchcraft. Yes, it's just so beautiful in this book. I um was reading this post the other day from um, Serena de Esti, who is head of Covenant of Hecate. And she lives in Glastonbury. And she was like, oh, it's clear in Glastonbury today. I can actually see the the fort that was the house that was the basis um, in the Sea Priestess. Oh. And I was like, I'm really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> My heart sank. <laughs> exactly. Well, she paints it so beautifully in the mist. Oh. It's something, and I hope her work continues to inspire. It's so funny right now because everything's flash. Everyone needs it really fast. We're somehow being engineered to function on that level, and yet there is a new luster for books in the last decade. We see this with really great small presses putting out amazing books. The tomes right now, girl, the quality of the books and the booking arts, the book arts are at an all-time porn level for me. Yeah, like if you're looking at stuff, you know, by Scarlet Imprint or Hadean Press or any of 
guys. I mean, there's just beautiful stuff. I met, I um, presented at the Magical Women Conference in London last year. Oh, nice. Yes. And I met a lot of those people and, you know, like they're just doing such fantastic, beautiful work and it's such substance and such style. Like it's just such quality work, you know, so meticulous. And it's like, we're so lucky to right now to to have access to these things. Yes. I'm a big supporter. I buy, I buy these books and I buy the best versions of them I can possibly afford, especially since they go out to print and then they hit their number, you know, and then they just immediately go up. So when you find them on the the market afterwards. So I, and I want to support these businesses and what's so great is a lot of people do. So this gives me hope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're they're all doing well and they're, they're just coming up like Scarlet imprint. I love particularly because, you know, they've done um, like Peter Gray and Alkistos Demek have done such beautiful work on Babylon and on Lucifer, but then they'll have the books of poetry and then they've got, you know, uh, Jake Stratton Kent's work and, and they really take chances and have truly interesting things. I think it's Alkistos's eye that does all the design work. Am I correct there? I think so. Yeah, I believe so. I I think so. I love Alkistos. I love them both, Peter and Alkistos. They, they are putting up the premiere, their top shelf. And so all those books are amazing. They're very, their selection of authors uh, is also refreshing and beautiful. Anything they put out, I get. You know, even that tarot deck. Yeah. The, well, both. The, the Bushka. The solo, the solo Bushka. I, I bought the book. I got that. But the other one. Oh, geez. I can't think of the name of it. All the images are sketch art. And then some, some of them are colored. It's going to be a minute. I don't use it. It's not a daily user for me. I'll have it in the show notes. <laughs> at the conference and they're the loveliest people. Everyone says that. I'm such an introvert these days. I don't do that. I did that stuff for a while and then I I don't anymore. I live a monastic life, a witchy monastic life. Uh, (laughs) Let me preface that. But their work's amazing and I have to support it. There's so many presses out there though. Zoanne and Three Hands Press. I mean, we could just go on. There's a good I'd say seven publishers that no matter what they put out, I will support and buy, even if I'm not into the subject matter because I want to see them move forward. Yay, that's awesome. Yeah, I do the same. And I just actually found out last week that I'm going to be published on Hadian in June 2021. Ooh, do you have, so can you give us a little teaser about that? It's just actually, it's um, from the first Magical Women Conference. So it's going to be the lecture that I did on Una Woodruff's artwork in Colin Wilson's book, Witches. Mm. Um, I did a lecture on that. And so that lecture is going to be in there. Excellent. Congratulations on that. Very excited. (laughs) (laughs) So with your personal praxis, if you don't mind, do you practice with, a coven at this point? Are you solo? How have you settled into your praxis at this point? Um, I have a few different magical partners that I work with. I would say it's a loosely based coven, but mainly I do most of almost all my daily work by myself and I meet with them um, on the dark moon. Yeah. And some 
sometimes we'll do, you know, Samhain together. Or um, if we have, you know, like if there's a big working, then sometimes I'll be brought in to help work with that. But most of my work is personal. Like I really, I'm not that big of a people person. Yeah. A lot of us aren't. That's it's across the board. I have the witch's cabin, you know, like in the edge of the Angeles Crest National Forest. And mm. I mainly write and practice. That's what I do. Yeah, same here. I have I have a very, very witchy, beautiful <laughs> cottage. <laughs> I like antiques. So yeah. I think that adds a lot. It's not even about antiques for me. It's about patina. It's about energy. Sure. It's about age. It's about the feeling one gets from something that has a presence that has soaked up different energetic fields. So wood that grew at a certain time, soaking up the energies from the earth and the sky and the winds, you know, and the fires, and then having been processed and transmuted into something beautiful at a different time, And I usually like them to be old and then moving through all the stories of the people involved to become, to come under my custodianship because we're just custodians to old things. And, and so adding patina to it, this is a rich thing. I notice a lot of people like us understand the feel and vibe of really what patina means. Exactly. Yep. And like the space that I'm in now is a former speakeasy. It's oh. quite old by <laughs> yes. um, LA standards. So yes. Really like truly, truly amazing. Just the kind of the stuff that has gone on in here. It still echoes of that too. And of course it's on a three-way like creek bed. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I wonder, yeah. have you looked at the ley lines in that area? Are you on one possibly? Uh, I'm, I would, I know for sure that we're on one. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. And I love that you're on a three-way creek and the speakeasy energy sing to my soul. Right. <laughs> There's so much, the, you know, the whole speakeasy thing is so great too, because it's the rebel gene. It's a rebel energy in the yeah. best of ways with the secret side where it involves pleasures and release and getting down. This is all stuff really that harkens through the centuries for people congregating under common purposes and a speakeasy yeah. is venusian in the end it's all about the the drink and the dance yeah i would totally agree and this house likes that and this house likes creativity and i always end up in places that like creatives yes. you know you can tell when a house does it just kind of caters to it yes and people who aren't creatives don't feel comfortable in these kind of spaces it's too vibey for them. It's always interesting to me. I'd run a, it was called the Temple of the Goddess in the 80s in Des Moines, Iowa. And it was a old Queen Anne Victorian house way up on a hill. Fantastic. And it was, I think, the last time I would allow people in my house. A lot of the coven just lived in these really great spaces on the second floor. We ran it as a temple. And so we would have big celebrations. It was it was very Venusian, but we did lots of dark goddess work there, lots of shadow work, lots of ethereum, and then also necromantium work. 
it was a deep temple for sure. But that was the last time I really allowed people in. So this space and my spaces in the in the years since I've I've been out of Illinois and Chicago and that area, very few people. <laughs> you have a Chicago link. I grew up in Chicago. Oh my goodness. Oh, girl, these overlapped. Well, okay, so we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. So I do not really have people in my house. I've been in this cottage for seven years, and there have been, I'd say, five people. I've allowed wow. five five people in. <laughs> I, I'm, when I say monastic, I mean it. And so I feel like at this point, I don't want to introduce other energetics into my circle. And so it's my personal circle or bubble. And then right outside is where that next inner circle is where I have these great interactions and I interrelate with people that I would consider. I don't do coven work anymore, but that fall into those kinds of bonds where they're close, right? Coven are close. And so, you know, it ripples out. To have people in is a strange thing, but to have a space like yours where this was happening, where you can get that energetic that's just part of the place is absolutely amazing because you can draw upon that. Exactly. Exactly. And it and it kind of, you know, like this place really pulled us to it. And so that all makes perfect sense. And yeah, you know, it's funny that you say, when you're talking about coven work, I'm like, you know, I don't, I haven't really done coven work for a while now because the politics of the coven never interests me. Oh, tell me about it. I'm much more, I'm much more interested in the actual magical workings themselves. Yes. Oh, you just sing to my heart. That is, that's also why I stopped doing, doing coven work. And I've loved all my coven sisters. I've actually, my uh, my life's been dedicated to the goddess since I came in. It was just how it was going to go, and I always just accepted it. And so I love polarity, and I always call in the polarities in my work, for sure. But my life has been definitely dedicated to the dark aspect of the goddess. So where we see her, even in the Madonnas and Marys, I like Our Lady of Sorrows. Yeah. Yeah. And she's my girl in the black Madonna. And, and so, yeah. Yeah. So that's yes. And so some, you know, we're called, we're called to certain aspects. And so that, that's where my vibe is. And then when we start talking about politics with others and coven work, it's people do not understand that haven't worked in covens that are looking in. They don't understand that the same thing happens within covens that happen everywhere else. It's a, it's a microcosm. It's just the overlay is the witchy overlay. You get, everyone has different needs. Everyone has different desires. And in coven work, what's great is everyone, well, it just depends, you know, if you've got a hierarchy, then then there's that. But still within a hierarchical system where you have a high priest or high priestess uh, or or something of that order, it's still a democratic situation on a lot of levels where you come together and you make decisions. And so that gets sticky, and it takes away from some of the magic I've found. 
No, I would totally agree. And the thing is like when a coven works, it, it's a beautiful thing. Like it's yes. absolutely the most magical thing, but it's not sustainable. They have a tendency to work in fits and starts for periods of time, but anyone that can sustain a long-term coven, I give kudos to because you're navigating minefields constantly. Yeah. It's sticky work. I've noticed now over the years that elder witches tend to inevitably, this is just something I've noticed. And these are the ones that I actually consider, you know, the natural witches they do end up ultimately back on solo ground in their sphere. Yeah. And so it, it's like you do this public service, even if you're not aware that it is at the time of covening, I think is a great learning ground and it is a public service to your your coven mates, which then, of course, you're doing work which vibrates out into the universe. It's a, a big deal. The hermit comes in and we pull that lantern up. We walk into the darkness. Yeah. I just, I don't think that energy is sustainable and I don't think that it's stable enough to be sustainable. If that makes sense. Like there's too much ego and this and that and whatever else that at some point you get up and you walk away and say, you know, I've done my time, but I'm going to go over here now. And that is the natural progression thing. This is part of the dark mysteries of, where we find ourselves going from maiden energy or the germinated seed mm-hmm. that moves through and then ultimately to the cow of death and all that where we walk to the dark veil and that's yeah. a solo path. Yes. I would completely agree with you. It's a beautiful thing. So girl, Chicago. i am amazed i'm constantly amazed at how much chicago overlap i have with people so you were born in chicago or just grew up there i was actually uh born out in la but i moved to chicago when i was 14 and it was actually um to LaGrange, mm-hmm. which going from LA, I was like this very snotty little LA <laughs> who got dumped in the middle of like very uptight preppy LaGrange. And I oh, did dear. not know what hit me. It was so crazy until I discovered that I could jump on the train and go to Chicago. Yes. <laughs> and then like Chicago was just the greatest. Like I have so much love for that city. Really yeah, did. I love the Chicago I remember. I was in. Yeah, the, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. I love Chicago I grew up in. I, I don't really like the Disneyland Chicago now, but yeah, Chicago. My memories can't be beat. I was in the Wicker Park scene, so it was the nineties. Okay. okay, yeah, I was actually. I had got my first apartment in Chicago uh, in the late eighties, but I was in Wicker Park in the nineties too, which is so funny. Like around. Must have been 92. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, I love that period. I mean, I was a, I bartended all over. And so that where was, work at? oh, girl, I worked everywhere. So let's see, where do I start? I worked for okay. Debbie Sharp, who was the rock and roll caterer. And she started okay. basing her business when she came from Australia. And then she went to London and she did all the tours for like, um, Rolling Stones and all that stuff. She stationed herself in Chicago in Wicker Park and opened a little restaurant called Eat Your Hearts Out. Eat Your Hearts Out, yeah. I've been there many times. Yes. Well, I bartended there for years. And that's where Fred Armisen was. Uh, a, I knew Fred. 
<laughs> I know Fred too. He was my he was my waiter on Saturdays, and she hired a lot of uh, a lot of us creative people. That was Debbie's thing. So I always catered stuff. So the Uptown and Aragon, Rosemont, and oh, I can't remember just wherever she needed me. But I did the Aragon almost exclusively. So that was great. You know, with all the bands that come through, and the but then I also bartended Intertown Pub. I worked at Zach's. I was one of the girls at Zach's. I don't know if you remember that, but it, these are like deep underground hardcore, yeah, hardcore dives. But it was where everyone went. Big Horse, where oh, Smoke Daddy. I was a Smoke Daddy queen for a long time, <laughs> and um. <laughs> <laughs> which was great because so I'm going from the music of the pop culture. Yeah. Right. With Debbie. Then I'm full underground scene with all the hardcore dive bars. Yeah. And you know, that's where people were hanging out. I was also hanging out too. And then I got into the blue scene with smoke daddy and the clipper and places like that for max who had, Smoke Daddy and the Clipper. And then actually my first gig, though, was when Baker Jenner and Bill Wirtz bought the Bismarck Hotel downtown. Okay. And they wanted that little, the little bar in there to be an old school speakeasy jazz. And they turned it into it called the Green Orchid. And when, before it opened, I went in and I got the job. So I was, I was always considered the Green Orchid. This is where I first met Janet. And Stuart Farah, yeah, and I think Gavin might have been with them that time. I can't recall. It was definitely Janet and Stuart. Yeah, I think Gavin was there because Stuart was sleeping. They came in with John because we had brought them over, John Wolf, who I did films with and stuff. So the Green Orchid brought in the whole jazz scene. All of a sudden, I'm totally in tune with the whole jazz scene on the Gold Coast down there, and it was fantastic. So I felt like I had this whole... Chicago music experience for me in the 90s. And then meanwhile, I'm doing art all over. There's posters. I'm doing all this fun stuff. So Chicago is that for me until it wasn't. And I couldn't get out fast enough. (laughs) Yeah, I left. I think it must have been 97. But you worked. Yeah, I worked at a bunch of the nightclubs and I worked at Crowbar and I worked Berlin and I worked at and oh, you yeah, worked and at the big you worked at the big places I did and and um and I worked at shelter and mm-hmm. all of these different crazy places shelter was epic yeah I did <laughs> dance for them and it was so much fun like I got to be on stage with RuPaul and like just oh, do girl. these crazy things <laughs> Super fun. And then I lived at the 3440 building on Clark Street where all of these tattoo artists and musicians and like my one neighbor worked for Chicago Tracks. So we had all the industrial bands. It's just like this constant creative, crazy party. And I loved it so much. But then it just started to change. And I married this blues musician, this English rock star. And, you know, we just... Chicago just, it got really, I don't know. It just got very uptight and different. Like yes. that, that beautiful creative spirit that I loved about Chicago that was kind of like part old building, part anarchy, part punk rock free for all, just go do it. It all, I guess everybody started to make a lot of money or something. Yeah, It just, it all changed and it became very commercialized and it, it 
lost its flavor. It totally lost its luster and fast. It was amazing. It wasn't shocking how fast it flipped. Yeah, it really was. But this is, Scarlett, this is what's so great, though. We were there during its scene, really, when all that creative energy came together. And we look at these historically, and you see these pockets where they happen. And that was happening right there at that time. And there we both are in the mix. We had to have crossed each other's paths, for sure. sure probably did. And, you know, I always tell people like, I'm so thankful to have been in Chicago in that time because it really shaped me creatively to think I can do whatever I want. You know, I I just have to put, the world is a magical place. Anything can happen, you know, apply yourself, (laughs) go for it, be bold, be brave, do it, you know, don't stand there and go, Oh, I'm not sure. (laughs) Pick up a paintbrush and make something. You sound like a witch. (laughs) you know there's someone we may know that was a dear coven sister of mine dear friend of mine sirolta defaulte no i don't know that oh my god so she's way in the scene she was miss she was the representation of russell's the cult bookstore Okay. So if you went in there, you encountered Sirolta. Yeah, I was in there all the time. Yeah. So you encountered Sirolta. I I mean, mean, you know her. I'm so sorry. I know exactly who she is. Yes. You had to have. She's a dear friend of mine. I mean, we were in Coven together. And she had her band, different bands, all the flesh and stuff, like everyone. You know, we're all just being creatives. But why I brought that up, and it wasn't Sirolta, I just thought we might have overlapped there, is I miss some of these places in the world trying to recreate some of these images mental images for people of places like earwax what an amazing place earwax was right totally oh i mean really the circus theme all the old circus stuff hanging in there and on you know it was so and wicker park was really gritty then i mean this was gritty you go there now and it's like i mean it was gangs and um i was chased so many times when I lived there. And they like, I would get off the bus and the gangbangers on my street would be like, girl, what are you doing living on the street? Let us walk you to the door. You know? Know. Oh, yes, I know. Oh, my God. There's so many good stories like that. Oh, my God. The first day I was in Wicker Park, I was walking with my roommate down to the park. Uh-huh. And so we have to dive behind a dumpster because some guy comes shooting yes. out of the park run and he's running toward our alley and I was like it's Chicago <laughs> isn't it exciting I mean it was so fantastic at that time what I'm cherishing here is that we both share this the Chicago I love is the Chicago you love <laughs> There's, and it's hard it's hard you know because then since we left i left i think in 98 i got married and uh it was just time and so it was right at that time it all just started to shift actually there was a point i think in 97 we went just to uptown to get gritty <laughs> it yeah was, it's like right? everyone's cleaned up wicker park what's next Let's tie this in with some witchiness. Were you doing, of course, you're you're born a witch and all that, but were you doing any kind of praxis at that time? I was, but I was more um, like seeking different stuff and trying out all these different like shamanism stuff because I was doing a lot of art then. And so I was experimenting with a lot of things and trying to like I'm always kind of a seeker of these different planes of existence and this and that and then you know at the same time we were hunting down the old buildings and doing Mm. 
know, like different spirit work and whatever, but I wasn't actually practicing with a coven. I was practicing on my own at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I was more just learning everything that I could. I think 1997 was a pivotal year for me in general. It was a time to actually go in more. I'm an introvert by nature. I think most of us are. But that was like, okay, I've been very extroverted. 97 comes in and it was, how can I get deeper into myself and further away from people? Yeah. This was actually a note before all this wonderful overlap with us I had was what period of time in your life, but I'm thinking, you know, 90s on, was there big energetic shifts into... Okay, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Thank when you. I was, um, this would have been around 2005, 2006. I had kind of stepped away from it and I tried to live a little bit more of a what normal life or whatever, but it was all falling apart. And I realized I wasn't being true to myself. And, and, Um, all of a sudden, like I had these very strange experiences where everything came back to me very, very strongly. And it was within that time period that I met uh, somebody else that I lived with for a long time. And we went to France together and we had all these supernatural experiences and my life took a complete left turn. And then I was completely magic 24 seven. From that point on, it was about 2006 and it was just like one day, like somebody flipped a switch back on. Yeah. It was so weird. Yeah. It, I find that, I find that significant 97. And then for me, 2006 was major. I started to actually expand my psychic body to the point where I, where I am now, where I get these amazing downloads. I just actively said, okay, I am now grounded. I'm old enough to start working in a new realm and to start pushing the clairs as far as I can and seeing what happened. And so you have to be grounded in so much of this stuff. Yeah, maybe that was part of it. It was just like the supernatural world, the magical world just came and said, you know, you are one of ours. What are you doing? (laughs) This is not your life. You're like this. And I I honestly had no choice. I was like, okay. All right, here we go. Kind of that personal acceptance is a contract with self. The deeper aspect of that too is it's a concept is it's a contract with your shadow self too. This is when you're confronting your own unconscious. And so, but at a deeper level when you just decide to have this confrontation where you want to yeah. untap or yeah. Let go, untether yourself in a way that allows for a deep immersion is an amazing experience, but it's not for the weak. No, and I think, you know, a little part of that, too, is a little bit of this, like, fuck this, this, this life (laughs) I lead is not for me. This is not me. This is not what lives in my soul. This is what lives in my soul. I'm going to go follow this. Yes. Not an easy path, a very scary, treacherous, hard path, but an honest path. Yes, and crooked. (laughs) (laughs) Well done there. (laughs) So for me, when I started to really tap into the Claire's and getting deeply in tune with myself 
on a deeper level. And the funny thing is with all this is as you go along your path, you always think you're kind of there in a way. When you start actually doing these kinds of deeper, scarier workings, like necromantium stuff, where you're getting in the black space, like the yeah. Sibyls, you know, and the Pythias, the cave of one's soul. And the only thing that illuminates in the cave of one's soul is the spark of one's flame. And so it's smoky, it's murky, it's thick, it's dank. And all of this stuff, and there are monsters. And yeah. so we embrace them the best we can. And yet there's this overlap that happens when we're starting to actually actively work in these realms that moves into the dream world and into these other worlds where the others live, the fae, the other sentient beings, the old ones, whatever people want to call them. It's to me at this point, Scarlett, they all share a kernel. They all share a heritage and they just express in different forms. Yeah. That's what I would call the other world. Yes, exactly. So dip us into how you experience the other world and where you started to really see the other world from, from, <laughs> from your stance where it became you ex- accepting of the other world for what it is instead of random experiences that could be where you knew where you, where you have conviction in these experiences, because I think the stuff where we're questioning at first, when we start encountering the stuff for real is a different layer in the initiatic process of moving deeper in. Well, I actually made a documentary called the other world. Funny enough. Um, <gasps> I'm going to, is that on your website? Uh, no, it's on Amazon. It's called Lotremont, the other world. It's, it's uh it's filmed in the South of France where I lived. But when I first went to the South of France and I went to the castle of Montségur, I went Mm. up there on a blood moon. Uh, It was a lunar (laughs) eclipse. It was up in this castle that I had no idea at the time. I mean, I was interested in the Cathars. I was interested in medieval history. I was interested in this region, but I didn't realize that Montsegur itself had been a place of worship with these different entities through time out of mind. And so um, I was up there with the film director and we had this supernatural experience that we both had the same experience. We both saw the same thing. It was something we could not discount. And then after that happened, the the synchronicities that went around this encounter could not be discounted either. I mean, they were so off the chart that it was almost like being down a rabbit hole. And I ended up spending seven years there. I mean, we called it the zone because time worked in a different way there. Magic existed there. Time and space worked differently there. It's really hard to explain, but our natural day-to-day life was unlike anything else. Um, And we would have encounters with things that were incredible. It's an incredibly old wild area and it's still, it's, it's basically untouched. You knew that the gods walked there, you know, or you would come across, you know, like Celtic opidums that were still up. Like these places were so old and so sacred that anything could happen, especially like Montsegur is 
it's a portal for lack of a better word. Time touches strangely there and the veil between the worlds is very thin there. We had huge amounts of magical experiences and we wrote about them and we made documentaries about them to bring it out into the world. I mean, this was stuff we couldn't discount. This was stuff that you hacked at with Occam's razor and it still stood up. This wasn't like feelings or this or that. This was, you know, actual substantial things. So yeah, that's when I knew. (laughs) (laughs) In the second hour, I want to get into the ideas of the woo within the other world, the other realms and how transient everything is. And where do you land in all this as far as how real reality is? So we'll save that all for a second hour. Getting close to the end of this first hour, I want to kind of skip into the idea of where you started to write and bring forth yourself as a writer into the world on this subject matter, on these subject matters. How did you spring into that? Um, I always had a, an avid interest in supernatural fiction. And I had taken, I have a degree in journalism, um, which is not fictional writing, but um, had taken a lot of fictional writing. And then once these occurrences started to happen, I realized that um, I had a, a good way of telling them, for lack of a better way description. I also discovered at that time that I had a real knack for screenwriting and that I had a real knack for dialogue. And I actually use a lot of dreaming for that. Like I'm one of those writers that once my characters are developed, they start to talk to me. They start to take on their own lives. They talk to me when I'm waking up in the morning. I realized that if I was going to write, because writing is really it's a hard process that I was going to have to write about what I truly loved and what really interested me and what was really personal to me. And so that's why the large basis of my work is all supernatural is all uh, magical. That's definitely something when I looked at your blog, it was all right there. You're right in, in these realms. And further on, I want to talk about the muse and how the muse moves through you. How did you launch yourself into being a successful writer though? You've got this background in journalism. You're a natural witch. You deepen that and learn all that stuff. And then you push into these things that interest you, but then you become very successful in them. Yeah. I, well, you know, we started writing a blog and that was, um, for, we, we made this huge website called Terra Umbra Empire Shadows, and it was basically all of the mystery stuff that we were pursuing in the south of France. Um, and we had a blog on that. And when I was first in Montsegur, um, I was living with a film director at the time, and I was like, we should, we're living in the most amazing place. We should film something. You know, we'll make a short, we'll make a short, we'll make a short, we'll make a short. And I would come up to him with ideas and he'd shoot them down. And we finally decided to write a modern adaptation of Clark Ashton Smith, The Mother of Toads. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, I was talking with a friend of ours who was a film distributor. And he was like, oh, you know, David over at Severin is putting together this anthology. And I was like, let's send him the script. I was like, give me his email. I'll send it to him right now. And I did. And he took it. (laughs) (laughs) 
it just kind of spiraled from there. And then the same production company, when they had come out to film Mother of Toads, had heard all of our stories and read all of our stuff and were like, we um, we kind of pitched them the idea of doing the documentary for Lotremond. And um, we had a really good cameraman who came out and shot some stuff. It was just, you know, like absolutely coincidentally. So we put... Mm-hmm. Synchronistically. Yes, exactly. We put together, you know, like a little trailer for them and gave it to them. And they were like, okay, you know what? We're going to make this. In fact, we're going to make it in six weeks because our other project just fell through. So we're going to give you a crew for, you know, three weeks and have a good time. And we were like, wait, this is a thing. It's really happening. (laughs) (laughs) And, And then it just snowballed from there. Yeah. And then I decided one day that I wanted to write, you know, like I'll make decisions about what I want to do that I wanted to write books. Yeah. And so I just did it. You know, like I, I had the idea of what I wanted and went from there. So the reason why I was asking that, I didn't anticipate to actually go in that direction, but having now just all this background and connection is you can see one by looking in their world, right? Yeah. We people show you everything about them without even realizing it and uh, just having a glimpse in and seeing. So it's always been it's a meme in the world, you know, the wizard that's in his mother's basement and all all that stuff. And so it's it's it but it shows. And so we don't have to. There's a point with people that are able to manifest. They're manifesting in their lives where you don't have to cast that circle and go through all this outer world stuff to manifest that which you desire and get in alignment with things that are what you want to do and how you see your world. We create yeah, just from our kernel, from that light within, that spark. And this is one of those signs, Scarlett, where I look at people and whether or not they consider themselves witches. And the term in my head is is not the the term that the image of that word is not the image that most people see, obviously. So I can look at a deeply Christian person that's heavily manifested stuff in the world without realizing it and through their overlay of, of God or what whatever that is. And to me, this is another example of okay, this is this is a witch to me. It I don't that's my overlay. That's my lens. And yeah. so I admire people in the world. I look towards those kinds of people that are able to traverse these worlds and manifest. Clearly, you are coming from that space where you're creating your, your world. Your outer world is obviously reflecting what you desire, and you seem to have a masterful control over it. Oh, I'm glad it appears that way. <laughs> well, 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 the, this is not the inner work's always going on and we're always dealing with emotional tides. We're always dealing with the new ways in which we're in the fire and being forged. This doesn't looking in when you see people that are actually not broke down. You yeah, get where I I'm get, going. I totally get what you're saying. And I think for me, it's eternal curiosity. 
the day that I'm no longer curious about the world will be the day I die. Do you yes. know what I'm saying? Yes. Whether it's an actual death or it's, you know, a physical death or it's a spiritual death. But that curiosity and that wonderment and that belief that, and that not even, it's not even a belief. I know that anything can happen. Do you know, like, I know that yes. anything can happen. I do believe that you create the world you live in. I believe that we project reality out of ourselves. Yes, of course. That is at the core of what I believe to be true magical praxis. It's really everything around that idea is just thought forms. Everything around that can be the beautiful luster around that adjutant that creates the pearl, right? It's There's the core, and you just showed us that that's what the core is. And so on that note, we're going to move into the second hour here. How may people find your work in the world and interact or however? Where, where are you in the world that is accessible? I'm on Facebook at Scarlett Morris. I'm on Instagram at Scarlett Morris. Um, I also have a writing blog, which will probably go back to my to scarlettmorris.com, but right now it's at sharedhallucination.blogspot.com. Those are usually the easiest ways to get a hold of me. I haven't been posting much on social media because I've been working so hard on these other projects. Are there any projects out there that you would like to talk about? I've been- I'm going to be speaking at the magical uh, fiction conference in London in, uh, I think in February on Algernon Blackwood, who's another one of my favorite weird authors. Mm -hmm. But two of the projects I have are major studio projects that, like I said, I'm Indian to the teeth, but also they deal with magic heavily with magic and witchcraft. So and making this niche for myself in LA that and in the industry, that's very weird where I'm becoming like the go-to <laughs> person for these things, which, you know, somebody has got to do it. I kind of appreciate that. And I really, you know, like I had said before, I'm trying to get honest work into yeah. it that, that isn't so silly. Yes. Well, I'm certainly glad you're out there doing that and people can find all this information you've stated here in the show notes. I'll make all that available. And on that note, we're going to end this uh, first half. And there she goes, the wonderful Scarlet. I would like to remind everyone that this was a chat and not an interview. So, and I think, and I hope, let's say, that this feeling comes through rather than me coming with dry questions and all of that we are definitely interacting and the second hour just deepens uh, you can you can definitely sense that we were finding our way into knowing each other through all this wonderful overlap that has occurred in our lives and with that I would like to be, give a big gracious thank you to my producers Michael Watcher, Melanie Poe, Marin Kramer, and my new producer, Christy Tesmer. I thank you sincerely and wholeheartedly. It's a very big deal to me, and I'm ever grateful, as I'm ever grateful for all the other patrons through Patreon that are helping make this possible, and of course, all the other stuff I do out there that is just in the in the field for those to encounter 
uh, Jerry and I actually just recorded, pre-recorded a fantastic interview today or interaction with James Bartley that is rocking. So look forward to that on the obelisk soon. And until later, I hope that the world is magical. I hope that you are able to create what it is you want and desire. And keep an open eye. Keep an eye on your inner light. Walk with that. Thank you.